Hey, it's Fei Wu, creator of the Phase World podcast and marketing services. And you're listening to a new mini series on Phase World called How to Freelance for Independent Creators. In this series, we speak to the tactics of working as a freelancer from health insurance to taxes, incorporation, but also the human side of things such as marketing, negotiation, downtime, or burnout, all inside a bite-sized mini series. Each episode is 15 minutes or less. Alright guys, this is Fei Wu and welcome to another episode of uh, How to Freelance series. I'm really excited because today we are going to talk about money finally. In this mini-series, we've covered a lot of topics related to, you know, uh, sort of the setup, logistics, how to incorporate, how to manage your finance, taxes, all that's very possible, so don't worry about it. Check off the list. And if you started with this episode, you know, let me know if you have any questions. I'm really curious, you know, learning about what's unique about your situations. And that will really inform my own knowledge and how I can teach better, teach other people how to freelance. So all the first few episodes of this series is all about what I just mentioned. And then we talk about the more human side of things, including this episode. So here's a question that comes up all the time. And I love when people have to whisper because money in this country, in the United States and everywhere else in the world is such a stigma. People don't want to talk about money. In fact, it's considered to be very rude in North America when you walk up to someone to say, hey, how much money do you make? In fact, you should never, ever ask that question the same as you should never ask for a woman's age. It's that bad. So how do you learn more about how to price yourself, how to talk about it? And worse yet, when you become a freelancer, you have to talk about it because your client will ask you that question and you are responsible for spitting that out, whatever that may be, right? And you have to deal with the consequences, whether, you know, uh, if you secure the project where you, you lose one or you don't find your next project for a while. So there is no short answer, like Seth Godin would say. Like we try to find interesting problems to solve, but the interesting problems don't always have a yes or no answer because it really depends. So is the pricing aspect of this freelance world. So it comes down to the industry, your experience, and the story you're telling yourself and the people you're working for. Basically, what is the value you're providing and delivering? And yes, it's the case that there are hourly rate versus project rate. Obviously, just by definition, hourly rate, if you are a copywriter, if you're a project manager, you work for an agency and they're going to ask you, okay, welcome freelancer, what's your hourly rate? And we're going to look at our spreadsheet and decide whether you qualify, where we can afford you or not. And the other option is project rate. You know, as a developer or even as a project manager, they say, we think we roughly need eight to 10 hours of your time. This project will run on for three months and give us a consolidated quote, how much would you like to charge for that period of time? And it is especially the case for photographers who often charge a project rate. You know, for the purpose of this episode, it doesn't really matter. The mindset is the same. It's all about the value you're providing. So I want you to think back to your own experience for just a brief moment outside of freelancing. What are you willing to pay for similar products or services and why? For example, when you stop by a pharmacy, I don't know, in this country, CVS or Walgreens, 
Do you typically reach out for those uh, store brand medicine or a national brand medicine and why? Well, that's pretty generic, but think for a second scenario. If you were to build a website for your company to market your brand new products, will you hire someone from Fiverr for 200 bucks or a trusted resource that is someone you know you have worked with or someone that came highly recommended to you? Personally, since the beginning of Face World Podcast, I too looked for cheaper resources because podcasting was literally just a hobby, just a hobby. It was a marketing tool for me to drive new clients for Face World services much later on. Because at the beginning, that's just crazy talk. Really, podcast was never going to make me any money, but it changed and changed very quickly. At the same time, I found a wonderful producer, Herman, who's been with me ever since. I haven't looked back. I haven't thought for a second about bringing someone else in who's simply cheaper because I knew I wanted and needed the things done right. Someone who really gets me, gets the brand, he's integrated into the brand and as part of my brand. When you have that type of experience, you will never look back just because someone is cheaper. But let's get back to uh, the ground level to say you're just starting out, you're a brand new freelancer. I would say, you know what? Do your research, talk to real people. If you want, cover your ground. Yes, you can still go to glassdoor.com, do your searches on Google, YouTube, or more specifically, check out places like upwork.com or freelancer.com because uh, on those freelancer websites, you will get a general sense for what other people are charging for and also the type of projects are being sold out there. You kind of have that context to not just a single dollar amount. And then what you can do next is simply price yourself and test things out. If it doesn't work, retract. You know, ask for people. Ask people for their budget. Always ask. And the worst thing that could happen is they're unwilling to tell you where they don't really know. But if they do know, that will give you a sense for what you can charge for. Especially when it comes down to creative work, whether you're a photographer or you're a videographer, by not understanding people's budget can really hurt you in the long run. So you could easily charge three grand, five grand for that project. But later on, you find out that person truly has $20,000 to spend and is looking for a result or deliverable that's very high caliber. And by thinking or assuming that's three grand, you actually took away some of the resources that could help you and assist you in that process. And another option is if you have a rabbi, if you know someone you're working with and that person is bringing you new projects and clients, you can talk to your rabbi and ask for what works. And that person likely is, is going to give you insights, not just dollar amount, but short dollar amount. Things like, you know what, two years ago in somewhere in Europe, we spent this amount of money and, you know, let's use the exchange rate and look at what could work in the U.S. But also that person is going to give you some insights to what it's like to actually work with that person. You know, I think clients here really matters. Client styles matter. Some clients need a lot of hand-holding to understand every step out of the way. And some of the other clients from the get-go, they just trust you. They trust your instincts and they get out of the way. They see you as the expert. And truth be told, I love working with those clients. Another simple rule is when you are booked as much as you need to be, you need to double your rate or simply increase your rate. That's a very easy thing to do. You know you're super booked and instead of looking for those empty spaces to book your next vacation or simply not work, you need to take on another client 
you can use that as a reason or as an excuse to increase your rate. Look, freelancing really is like the university of life. There are certain things you can learn, listen to, but there are certain things you really have to learn through making your own mistakes. As a freelancer, this person, if you get to encounter a few of those, they will tell you how they carefully priced out their first few projects, charged what they thought was so much money. In this case, I hear like $1,000 to deliver a bunch of things over a pretty long period of time while losing sleep over it. And I thought it was so much money. But when you first graduate, you know, as a full-time person, most people, not just you, most people charge too little. It is hard to bridge that gap between, okay, uh, I used to work for a company that paid me this much. As a freelancer, uh, I, I really should demand a lot less. But why? Sure, you could demand a little less when it comes to the right scenarios. Uh, what I mean by that are you know smaller, less established clients who are awesome with a brand that you absolutely love and you know it's a joy to work with them. Sure, you could reasonably lower your rate to make it work. Or there's a new technology, there is a new set of skills you love to learn, and clearly you're you aren't an expert just yet. Then you could also reasonably lower your rate. Remember, freelancing isn't charity. When clients negotiate like it is. You should work for free and things like that. The relationship won't last. The respect has to be mutual. Another consideration is about the level of complexity, and this is especially true when you give them a project rate. A lot of people make this type of mistakes. One of my friends did as well, who happens to be a photographer, and she used the same rate and published the rates on her website for all clients who come to her. But the problem is some of the clients are local to her. Literally, it takes her five to 10 minutes to drive to, but the other clients may be cities away, you know, then uh, whenever you need to drive, even if the drive is, say, under an hour, you need to plan so much more of your time to make sure you're not late, you know, especially if it's uh, during the weekend on a, a nice weekend day here in New England, everybody seems to be on the road that you need to travel so much more. And remember that's getting there and also coming back and you need to really reconsider your rates appropriately and the clients will understand. So next, let's talk about how to increase your rate over time. How do you do it? So typically after a year, it is reasonable to increase your rate by about 10% or more. And you can establish the relationship first with your clients. You nurture that relationship, deliver good results. You know they love you. And that's when you can demand a reasonable increase. Or if you have project rates, then it's much easier to actually increase that 5, 10, even 20% for your next project because your new clients simply wouldn't know that how much you've been charging for. Again, do not list your project rate or your hourly rate on the website. Start and establish the conversation first. Some of the clients have the tendency, for example, to negotiate down. They always, always negotiate down or want to ask for more. So if you know you don't want to go under $4,000 for a project and you simply offer $4,000, there's a chance that the client for will ask for a favor and try to cut that down from there. What do you do? And it's, it's going to be very challenging. Next is how do you charge more in general? So here is the secret to charging more. You need to find and know your niche. And by the way, you cannot know. You just don't know at the very beginning. I don't care what Google search or, oh, your expert friends are telling you how they found their niche, how they found their elevator pitch that just worked the first time. Uh, it doesn't. It takes time. 
But this is hands down the easiest way to grow your business, not by working more, but by charging more and working less. So popular skills such as digital marketing, copywriting, whatever that may be in your domain, are flooded with freelancers. Sure, I mean the freelance、uh, economy is booming, and、uh, sure, there's still a lot of full-time people. But in general, if you find a popular domain, there're going to be a ton of other freelancers in the market competing with you. Even if it's a small percentage of those people are considered top-notch, it's still a lot of people. By random, this is how I found my niche. I mean, this is a niche within the niche. I convinced myself to create content for very niche domain, and that is. Himalaya, which is a Chinese podcasting platform for podcasters who don't speak Chinese. What I'm trying to do is to help other podcasters whose primary language、uh, are English, French, whatever that may be, and help them help their shows to appear on Himalaya in China. I had this idea randomly while I was traveling in China, and realized how challenging it was, even for me as a Chinese citizen, as a Chinese native, to join the platform as a podcaster. But once you are there, it comes with a massive built-in audience, and the reward is infinite. So I created a course, and the course is free, and it's still on Thinkific. I I can create a link if you're interested. But dozens of people since less than a year ago have reached out to me for consulting services and partnerships to create new courses together. They've always referred to me as a subject matter expert in this area, and it makes me laugh because I only have done one course. I never worked for Simalaya. I'm just a podcaster who happens to be Chinese. How does that make me an expert? But because it's so challenging to create a, a course like this, and the platform is constantly changing, and it's very niche, not everybody wants to be on a Chinese platform. Therefore, I attracted really that niche audience who are willing to pay whatever rate that I put in front of me. Before we close this episode, I do want to mention: look, branding yourself is really important. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, which is right before this, I highly recommend that you do. In that episode, I talk about branding yourself. You want to do that by collecting the right testimonials, and not just those recommended skills on LinkedIn. When somebody just click click a plus button, they don't even know you and recommend your skill. No, you want legitimate testimonials that are not canned or generic, and you want to build up a professional website with content that resonate with your readers and your potential clients. And you want to deliver content to open up your funnel and drive more client leads. These things are really essential. And the person who really describes this and, and teaches this the best is no one else but Dory Clark. I'm going to list a HBR, which is Harvard Business Review article, as part of this blog post. And if you just swipe over on your podcast app, you'll be able to see a link as well. On that article, Dory Clark mentioned. There are three fundamental elements to getting your ideas understood and appreciated. Elements that underlie everything else. These are social proof, which gives people a reason to listen to you. Content creation, which allows them to evaluate the quality of your ideas, and your network, which allows your ideas to spread. Everything she said is exactly true for freelancing, for building your business, for building your brand, for having a better podcast, building a better documentary, whatever you're doing. These three elements are essential. Once again, they're social proof, content creation, building a network. So, thank you so much for listening to this particular episode. If you find any bits of this helpful, please let me know. Upvote. 
Send me a message and please consider sharing with others who are considering the leap of freelancing or people who are already on that path but are struggling to build up or scale their business. I appreciate you so much and I'll see you in the next episode.